is uh, Palm Sunday. And I know in many fellowships across this land, they will be teaching on the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem in the cult of a donkey. I uh, thought about it, but I will honestly tell you it was a fleeting thought because I cannot think of anything greater than teaching on the face of Jesus on Palm Sunday. Odds are, I will continue that focus on Resurrection Sunday. Actually, the odds are very, very good that that's what I'm going to do. have been asked uh, if uh, I was going to say something on the Resurrection. Yeah, he's alive. So, got that covered. But next Sunday, we will have uh, Cornerstone will be fellowshipping with us. So... um, uh, you can make a note of that. Gracious people, I have preached three times in the last month and a half in their church. been a blast. But they're very receptive. Uh, I love them dearly. So uh, if you would, please, we are going to try to make it through this. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 3, still? Yes, chapter 3, verse 18, through chapter 4, verse 6. It is not heresy to split up a text. I know some people think, oh, you can't teach us a different chapter. Um, I'll explain that after we pray and read God's Word. Father, give us ears to hear. Father, give us eyes to see. May we may be overwhelmed like Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, as we look at this season in this country, may we be overwhelmed and be so sensitive to you that maybe we'll run into one of those people who says, I haven't been asked. Please, Lord, let us see Christ in our brothers and sisters. Let us look at your creation and watch you change darkened hearts to lives of Jesus Christ. To your glory and praise. Amen. Verse 18, chapter 3. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but... By the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We do not preach ourselves. But Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as bondservants for Jesus' sake. For one God. I'll stop there. This is just a good text. I get excited about it. You'll have to forgive me. But I want us to think about this for a second. Because when I read Scripture. Okay. And and don't get mad at me for, for my boneheaded illustrations. 
As I go through scripture, I go over and 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 I go over. I have been reading 2 Corinthians now for uh, almost four years. I read it every day. Okay. But when I do that, it's like peeling an onion. You just get layer after layer after layer after layer. I mean, you can do it for 30 days and I guarantee you, if you take a book of the Bible, test me on this. Take a book of the Bible. I mean, take a big book like Philemon. Okay? And read it every day. Okay? You will find that that bugger will peel like an onion. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Stay away from Hebrews because that in there causes you to choke. But I will tell you that um, it also at times, like peeling an onion, make you cry. Okay. When I look at this text, Second Corinthians, and I look at every book that I've ever preached, um, one of the first things I do is completely remove verses and chapters. Okay, I have written a few letters in my life, but I have never written a letter that had verses and chapters in it. These were originally written as letters to people. Okay, to congregations or leaderships of congregations. Um, and when I move from one verse to the next, I continually keep peeling this. And one of the reasons that Scripture is such a profound thing on me is that every time I look at Scripture, I see the face of Christ. Okay? I don't care whether I'm reading Exodus or Numbers or Leviticus or Revelations or Philemon or Timothy or Titus, any of them. I'm always seeing the person of Christ. You always see. Okay. That's why I titled this section, verse 18 through verse 6, that this light shall shine out of the darkness. I want you to think about that for a second. Okay, because you and I at times think that we may not be in the darkness, we're just sort of in the gray. But you're not. When I read that, God who said that light shall shine out of the darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Okay, how did he start that? Behold, in a mirror... Okay. Now, the key to this thing is, and the, the thing that really makes you want to cry, is we all. We all. Okay, but there's also a danger in this text. If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And you know what? You and I like to put people in the perishing category a lot quicker than we ought to. Okay, because people ask me, when can't a person be saved? And I'll tell you emphatically, when they're dead. Up until that point, there's a possibility they can be saved. And I don't want to hear the, the, uh, the foolishness of humanity tell me, well, after a certain age, or do you got this, or you got that? No, 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 no. As long as that person is alive... God can invade that soul. Okay, just make a note of that. All right? When I think about the face of Christ, 
when, when I look at him, that should be the life of a Christian. Not trying to be like Christ, but to look into his face. Let me see him. Why? Beholding as in a mirror. I believe that that is the highest and the noblest thing that any Christian can do. Listen. I hear a word that gets thrown around and people, when they hear the word, you can almost see their eyes roll back in their heads. There's, okay. But there's a word that we use. We, you hear it occasionally in churches. You should hear it more. But it causes the, it's almost like the person just glazes over. Okay. You know what the word is? Theology. But if I am gazing at the face of Christ to see the glory of God, what am I doing? Theology. The study of Theon. God. Remember the Israelites? They could not gaze intently at Moses. And yet it should be for the Christian in the new covenant to want to gaze intently at the face of Christ to see the glory of God. Okay, but in our churches today, if you mention the word theology, is it theology the thing you go to seminary for? Okay, well, that's what we've managed to come up with. But I'm thinking that the guys that are going through seminary ain't getting to theology either because I'm hearing some of the stuff that's going on in pulpits. So I'm thinking, that ain't theology. So they're, what, they just take it and stick it in their other suit? But it's theology. And I will tell you, as a brother in Christ, it is extraordinarily hard to deal with this. It is part of being a fallen person but it's also part of being in a fallen world. Okay? Every time I look at Jesus, whether I do or don't, I also always have the desire to cry. Because when I look at Jesus, nothing personal, but all of you guys go away. And it's just me and him, and I tend to be the sad sack of the group. Okay. Now, every once in a while, I'll do this and get a peripheral view of someone else and say, boy, I'm glad I'm not them. <laughs> but other than that, I had a guy call me, yes, was it yesterday? I think it was yesterday. Told me that a friend of his, 65 years old, Vietnam veteran, okay, he's got grandkids. All right, 65 years old, grandkids, is going in for a sex change. And he says, well, what do you think? I'll be honest with you. I don't have a Bible interpretation of that. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I said, you know what? The selfishness of humanity. I, I don't know. His, his kids are, you know, I, I don't know. I, don't, I have two moms. I don't know. You know, he called me and 
One of the few times in my life, I, I don't, I don't know. Part of being in this fallen world, part of being a fallen person, is to see the face of Christ. It's hard. And you know what I've learned in my years? And I, you guys are, if, you, if I'm wrong, come and tell me. Okay? The more devoted to Christ we are, the harder life gets. Remember a friend of mine one time, he, some of you remember him, Ed. He said, if God just made sin smell bad. And I said, it'd be a shock at first. But we get used to it. <laughs> Second Timothy chapter 3, Paul telling Timothy as he's preparing to have his head removed. All those who walk in Christ's righteousness. All those who would live godly will be persecuted. Jesus said, in this life you will have persecution, but I have overcome the world. Remember, it's Palm Sunday. Are you encouraged yet? I don't know. Go back to the ham, dude. Listen, the Lord never promised any of us anything more than trials, troubles, hardships, pressure, and temptation is the only promise he has for his own. The world hated me first, but no, they will hate you. And what I see in the church today is a church that's trying to get along with those who hate Christ. I was asked about being a chaplain one time. Okay? And, yeah. I don't, I don't think that's an ongoing conversation. And I said, well, yeah, you know, that, that'd be kind of interesting. You know, because you know, he wanted me to work with several different types of people. And he said, but you need to get up to speed on Catholicism. You need to get up to speed on Islam. You need to get up to speed on this. And I was like, uh, what do you mean exactly by up to speed on? And he said, well, if you're dealing with Roman Catholic, you have to come to them spiritually as in Roman Catholicism. I said, well, a Roman Catholic needs to get saved as much as a Muslim needs to get saved, as much as a pagan needs to get saved, as much as a murderer needs to get saved. Well, you can't do that. Probably not going to make the chaplaincy thing. Um, You know, I tried to explain to him old dog, new trick. He didn't buy it. Spurgeon's quote in one of his sermons was, why is it that... Now, you remember, Spurgeon was late 1800s. Okay, so I want you... I wanted to give you this because I want you to understand that what you're dealing with right now is not new. Spurgeon says, why is it that Christians believe they should be hosted on the shoulders of the peoples and touted as heroes when they carried your king out on a cross. We want to share their gospel and get, and yet they crucified your Lord. Do you deserve less? 
Yet, here comes the positive side. As everybody's like, yeah, you know. He promised to never leave us. He says, I will never forsake you. And lo, I will be with you even to the end of the age. In all of the pains of this life, in all of the chaos of this life, in all of the confusion of this life, in all of the struggles of this life, I am with you. Okay? Do you understand that that is your life now? He is a present help. Do you understand that? He's not a future help. He's not a past help. He is a present help. He intercedes for us. And you know what? We need so much that even the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. He says, I will carry your burdens. My yoke is easy. I watch religious people at the time of Christ lay these heavy burdens on the people. And I see the same thing today. And no, you don't have to go to the Catholic Church to see it. You see it in the Protestants. Do this, do this, do this, do this. He loves us. He strengthens us. And you know what? If you're really honest with yourself and your worst weaknesses, you find His greatest strengths. Right? Yesterday I uh, went and did the tax guy. The joys of my salvation. Okay? So you, you stacked up this shoebox of paper. That's how I do it. I know some of you guys. I'm not an administrator. I take things that I believe I can deduct and I throw them in a box, throw them in a box, throw them in a box. And then sometime around January I start going... Uh, what the, and I don't know, and then you got to stack, and my kitchen table becomes non-useful for about two months. Okay? All right, and then I get it all squared away, and I say, okay, this one here, I can good conscience claim this is a deduction, this one here in good conscience, I can't. And then you just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So you get it done, and so then you pile all this in, you act like you're organized, and you go in, and the guy does it on the computer, and you're sitting there going, Lord, I... <laughs> you know, I, hey, gee, many crickets. And I find myself in this time when you think you've got a whole year of organization of a fervent prayer time. Okay? And, and I mean, and then, it, you know, as he's going through and his pages over pages over, you're like, oh, gee, and you get to sweating and I'm like, this is awful. And then finally you get to the prayer and it says, Lord, just make sure my bank account's got enough to cover the check. <laughs> I know you guys don't ever do that. So if you were in my, uh, some of you guys are self-employed. You know what I'm talking about. If you're self-employed, you're doing this on a regular basis. If you're working for someone else, somebody else has already done all the work and you just hope it covers your debt. <laughs> okay. But uh, it is at those times of weaknesses that his strength is the strongest. And our weaknesses is his greatest strength. Matt had to deal with the death of his grandfather this week. And God, day by day, get to peel that back and say, look, 
Look what I'm doing. Hey, oh, look, look here. And Matt says, oh, man, I'm praying and he's answering. It's like, ding, ding, boom, boom, boom. I know some of you have experienced that. Some of us are still hoping to that, you know, he just pow, pow, pow. There it is. And he does it on a regular basis, brothers and sisters. Because you have run out of your resources. And guess what? You won't try to share the glory. You can back away from it and say, Father in heaven, thy will be done. Nothing ever created can separate us from God's love. Or you can say it this way. The only thing that could ever separate you has never been created. That always messes with people. They go, what? (laughs) We were born to trouble. Did you know that? As humans, we were born in trouble. Job says it, the oldest book of the Bible. But you know what else? We were born again into trouble. Romans tells us we were baptized into Christ. Okay, let me ask you a question. Did Christ have any trouble while he was here? Now listen, I got to ask you a question. When you came to salvation, did anybody tell you this? I mean, somebody come and say, let me tell you something. The trouble you have now is only going to be magnified to the infinite degree. Sign me up. I'm in. I bet you that the majority of you said, if I go walk this aisle, if I get baptized, if I say this prayer, my life is going to be a bed of roses and I'm going to be happy. And Jesus and me is like this. Right? And then God said, you didn't read the fine print. It seems there is more trouble after you're saved than before you were saved. See, before your salvation, you are part of the trouble. After your salvation, you fight against the trouble. Christians fight trouble. We give God's counsel. We give, you ready? Theology. Now, we don't tell them that's what we're giving them because they'll glaze over. Do you realize that at the moment of your salvation, you face a world that is hostile to you? Please hear what I said. The whole thing. The whole thing. Pastor Paul, he lives in a military dictatorship. He can look around and say, you know what? Whoever's got the most guns right now is leading. All right. And what was legal a minute ago with the guy with the gun may say is not legal now. And we would say, oh, that's a hostile environment. Let me tell you something. That ain't as hostile as the environment you're in right now. The whole global system is hostile to you and I. The God of this world, Satan, the God of this age, hates you and I and is hostile. And he's really ticked off that you got saved. 
And because you got saved, he says, I want to afflict as much pain as God will let me on them people. All he does is against us. Do you understand that? Even, and, and you say, well, the whole globe's against you. It gets better. So is your flesh. Let me tell you something. I'm going to be as gentle with this as I can t- be right now, this day. You know how I am. I like to beat around the bush. I like to make you think you think you know what I'm saying. Life is a pain. Isn't it? Have you ever thought about it? If you're not in the valley of the shadow of death, you're getting ready to go into the valley of the shadow of death. Or you're coming out to prepare to go back into the valley of the shadow of death. Isn't it? That's the life of Christ. you got to be kidding me. Oh, no. I'm not kidding you. If you're not in a conflict right now, you are preparing to get into a conflict right now, or you're in a conflict right now, or you're getting ready to have a victory over a conflict right now. The world hates you. Your flesh don't like it either. And so everywhere you go, you're kind of stuck with it. You know, I'm a person that kind of likes to be left alone. I like to be by myself. But then even when I'm by myself, I have me. And I'm worse than some of you. But it's true. You know, my doctor, I hadn't seen my doctor in two years. And he said, well, where have you been? I was staying away from you. <laughs> and he said, well, you know, you know, you need to come back in, you know, on, on a regular basis. All the rest. I said, you know, doc, every time I come in here, you find something wrong. And sure enough, guess what? He runs a little blood thing on me. He says, you know, we need to sit down and, uh, perfect. See? And then I just smiled at him and said, see, now you know why I don't come visit you. I, you know, something else, you know. You know what, Doc, you're trying to keep me alive way longer than I want to be. Life is a pain. Life is a pain. So, does everybody feel totally encouraged and want to just go out and get them a little chocolate rabbit and sit down and go out and eat it? And... <laughs> How do we? How do you deal with that? I know. Listen, you guys, it ain't like we got a 10,000 member church. I know what you guys are dealing with. What do I look stupid? Don't answer that. (laughs) I know your heartaches. I know what you struggle with. Some of you come and talk to me. Some of you, I'm glad you don't. Okay, I know what it is. How do you deal with it? How do you deal with it? Okay. How do I triumph? How do I keep moving forward? How do I press on to the upward calling of Christ? When you don't understand, I've been to the doctor and he says, this is going to fall off. I went to the doctor and he said, this is going to blow up and I need to go for surgery for this. I need, my kids are doing this. I need to kill that child. And I need, you know, and da, 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 da. And you get all the way down the line. I got in-laws that hate me. I got outlaws that should. How do I get through this? I don't know about my job, my taxes. I, I, I listen to the news and try to be encouraged and think, golly, the world's going and it's already there. 
How do I get through it? You don't understand. I'm tired. You don't understand. My heart hurts. I'm heavy. I don't understand any of this. They want to tell me to run. Run? Why? How do I keep going forward? And this text, verses 18 through 6 of 4, is based on Paul's own experiences. The Spirit of God pours through Paul in his life experiences. Okay, now, I want you to hear me well right now. This is theology experienced. They call it the 8-inch rule. Okay? We take it in here, but for whatever reason, we can't ever get it here. I know... But by my heart's actions, I'm trying to fix it. What happens with the Apostle Paul's life is he had the theology and he had the life experience to prove the theology. Read the book of Acts. Read what Paul went through. How would you like to step into the presence of God in heaven and then be set back to be an apostle to the Gentiles? Talk about a raw deal. How would you like to spend three years in the Arabian desert studying theology by the teacher It is Christ and then have to go deal with religious leaders? You do it. He learned the theology. And his life experienced it. Paul was a man who knew truth. And the truth applied to him. I'm going to ask you a question. Everybody, most of you in this room right now, know this verse. Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Right? You ever been lonely? You ever felt like Elijah under the tree and Lord, I'm the only one. Huh? No, you're not. Lo, I am with you every Sunday. Always. When you look at whatever you're dealing with, I don't care what it is. I please hear me. I know when you are in the midst of trials and tribulation, you believe that it is the only person on the planet who's ever had to suffer this way. And I'm telling you right now, you've never suffered as Christ has suffered and he is with you. Always. I guarantee you, your heart has never grieved the way Christ's heart grieved. And you know what? I guarantee you, your heart can never grieve the way Christ's heart grieved. He was separated from the Father. You who are saved can never be have that. You can't understand that. I see so many in the church today who have a strong theology and yet it does not apply to their lives. I don't understand that. That's like memorizing an encyclopedia. What's the point? I'm going to tell you this. 
And you know what? I've said it over and over and over and over and over. Years upon years upon years upon years upon years of my ministry. And some do, some don't. How do I triumph in this life of chaos, confusion, heartache, and turmoil? Simple. Look into the face of Jesus. I know you're wanting something more profound, but um, that's it. I had a dear friend of mine who is in glory these days. <laughs> and he tells me, he said to me one time, I remember this. He says, you show me a person with a worn out Bible and I'll show you a person who can never wear out. Interesting thought if you think about it. If I look into the face of Jesus, I've had the opportunity with two men, I will not mention their names, to be on boats. And one was in the Atlantic Ocean and one was in the Pacific Ocean. Both of these men don't like boats on oceans. Okay? And uh, it's, it's weird because they say it's motion sickness. I have motion sickness. Okay? It, uh, I can be driving in a car and if I look over and somebody's reading a book, that makes me nauseous. Okay? And I can't sit, okay, in a car as a passenger and read nothing. Okay? I can't even look at a map. All right? Read the sign. All right? So I thought that was motion sickness. All right? It's kind of weird. It's, I don't know. But, you know, they tell me that if you're on a ship, you know, there's times where the bob's lifting, right, and up and down and um, not over and under. But anyway, you know what I'm talking about. It kind of bobs around. And the people get sick at it. And that's never really bothered me. Okay? Um, <laughs> I was going out to Catalina Island, <laughs> Southern California. And uh, <laughs> I, I watched over my dear friend was chumming. <laughs> if you don't know what that is, you go look it up and you'll understand what I just said to you. And, and I told him, I said, dude, look to the horizon. He said, what? I said, look to the horizon. Sure enough, he got done baiting the fish and, uh, look to the horizon. And all of a sudden the color come back in his face and all the rest. And I said, don't look down around you. Okay. Cause there had been some dolphins or something. Something was bobbing up and down. Everybody got excited. And, um, and so anyway, he looked at the horizon and the color come back and he said, wow, I've never done that before. And I said, just look to the horizon. Okay, uh, another friend of mine, we were going deep sea fishing off of the Carolinas, and I told him, I said, go up in the bow of the boat. And he's like, you know, I have these pills, and I forgot them. And I said, go up to the bow of the boat. And he says, what? And I said, look to the horizon. Don't look down. Don't look at the waves or anything like that. And you know what? He did fine. He did fine. But they were, they were all excited about, you know, what, what, uh, whatever. All right? You look around you today, and you think about the heartache and the turmoil that's in your lives. And I'm going to tell you this simple fact. Look to the horizon of Christ. Chapter 3, verse 18 says, We all are beholding. Chapter 4, verse 6. What does it say? For God, who said, Light shall shine out of the darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts, has looked into our hearts. What? To give the light of what? 
The knowledge of the glory of God, where? Same we all. The same we all. The glory that is in a mirror reflects God. That which reflects God the most clearly. Ask yourself a question. That which reflects God the most clearly in the face of Christ is what? Scripture. Scripture. The single most important thing for a Christian is the glory of God. I was up at Columbine the day of the shooting. And there for about three days, four days, I guess. I was up there every day. And I kept looking at this mess. And I kept telling myself in my heart, God, somewhere in here you're glorified. Okay, now I know everybody says, you know, well, Christians wrote books out of it and, you know, memoirs and yada, yada, and all the rest of it. That ain't the glory of God. Somewhere God's glory is in this mess. And I remember talking to Dave Thomas, the district attorney, and he had come down to do uh, some kind of morning interview. It was snowing and cold and wet. And um, he uh, had this big old stack of files. I mean, kind of one of these things, trying to carry this thing around. And I asked him how he was doing because he's he's struggling with it. I could you you can tell, and I I was too. I was in the library the day that the buses kept bringing the kids out of the school, and you had all the parents in the library, and parents would see their kids and they would run out. And as the day drew on, it kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And then the sheriff came by and said, "There is no more." And you look back and these, uh-oh. what do you tell these people? Okay. So, you know, I, 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 I kept telling myself, God's glorified here. And anyway, I was talking to him. And he says, I don't understand this. He says, we have the highest paid administrative staff in the state of Colorado. We have the highest paid teachers in the state of Colorado. We spend more money per student in the whole state of Colorado. We have a wonderful police department. They work well with our administration. They work well with our local school districts and school se- sections and all the rest. He says, we have the best system for educating students on the planet here in Jefferson County, Colorado. And his words were, how could this happen? God says, you do your best. You spend your best. That's what you've got. And if you think about it, that's true. What our Christian life is all about is understanding and under experiencing in that understanding the revelation of the glory of God. To understand the fullness of who he is. This text tells us we can see that. We behold it as in a mirror. We can see it unveiled. It's absolutely clear. And in the mirror, God has given us. Let us look. So my question to the text was, What is the mirror? What is this mirror? 
Okay? The key is verse 6. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Okay? The light of the knowledge, the illumination, the revealing what? The knowledge of God in the face of Christ. That's the key. Right there. Right there. What is the mirror? If I'm going to see the emblazing glory of knowledge by his revealed knowledge, where am I going to do that? Scripture. You know what they call that? Theology. It comes in the face of Christ. Old covenant gave you the shadows. New covenant emblazons the light. Spurgeon spoke of the old covenant as the most eloquent mansion that man could ever imagine. The new testament turns all the lights on so you see the true detail. See, Paul understood the theology of this. But Paul also had experienced this theology. This is what pastors call the frustration of the eight-inch rule. How do I get people to take it from here and put it here? And I look at these poor buggers and I say, you know what? You have no ability. That isn't your call. We give the theology. God gives the experience of the theology. Paul learned that the only way to live your life in this troubled world was maintain a focus on Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Write this one down. We must fix our eyes on Jesus. If you're going to be effective as a believer, if you're going to run with endurance, what are you looking at? A simple thing. If you really think about it, it's a simple thing. I focus on Christ. But that is Christian living. I guess the best way I could describe it is a preoccupation with Jesus. Think about the things that preoccupy you. And ask yourself a simple question. Is it Jesus? Paul's life was that way. He had learned if he is going to see God in the midst of heartache of this life, he will see him in the face of Christ. And remember this. It's revealed to us. That would be the we all behold with unveiled. Moses seen the glory in the face of Christ. Well, I think you're grabbing air right there. Really? At the Mount of the Transfiguration, who was standing there with him? Moses and Elijah. Looking at the face of Jesus should be the preoccupation of every Christian of all the time. God's glory in Christ. God receives glory in His attributes. Now, I'm going to go through the rest of this really quick, but it's going to set the stage for what we'll be studying in the next few weeks, okay? In Exodus chapter 33, verses 18 and 19, Moses said, I pray, show me your glory. Okay? 
And he said, that would be the Lord, I myself will make my goodness pass before you. When you see the word that says the glory of God, understand he's manifesting, he's going to show the attributes of God. So when you look at the face of Jesus, you're seeing the attributes of God. All right? Quickly, right? You can go through these on your own if you want to. The letter to the Romans, chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates His own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. You got that? All right. So I can look now and see His love for sinners. Okay, I can look at verse 9. Much more then, having been justified by His blood, we will save from the wrath of God through Him. Guess what I just saw in the face of Christ? His justice and His wrath. Okay? Chapter 3, verse 20, 26. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at this present time, so that he would be just and justifier of one who has faith in Christ. His perfect justice. You see his holy wrath in 5.9. Why? There has to be wrath. You cannot be holy and not have wrath. You cannot have love if you do not have wrath. You cannot have justice if you do not have wrath. But yet now I see his justice. And all I'm doing is looking at the person of Christ. That's all I'm doing. Here's the person of Christ. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9. But we do see him who was made for a little while. Lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, we might, he might taste death for everyone. That is his redeeming grace. And it is seen in the person of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 22 through 24, you know this text. For indeed, the Jews ask for signs, the Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block, to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both to the Jews and the Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So now we see... In the face of Jesus, the wisdom of God. So just in those quick texts that I just gave you, I can see the love of God in the person of Jesus. I can see the holy wrath against sin of God in Jesus. I can see the perfect justice of God in Jesus. I can see the redeeming grace of God in Jesus. And now I see the wisdom of God in Jesus. All right? That's just a cursory thing that I did. Now I want to think for you for a second. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What's the mirror? D. 
Do you see why I annoy so many pastors in this town? This is not a complicated thing. I am not a theologian. I am not trained. I read my Bible. It's an interesting concept. Let me ask you a question. What's the longest book in the Bible? Psalms. What's the longest chapter in the Bible? Psalm 119. What is the focus of Psalm 119? The Word of God. And the Word of God is the face of Jesus to see the glory of God. And we all behold in a mirror. And the mirror is Scripture's. And Scriptures gives you theology. So in the experiences of this life, you see the glory of God in the face of Jesus and you are not swayed. And you can't be moved. And I can't make you do that. But I can tell you this. It's true. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word on this day that we celebrate Christ's victorious entry. May we hear called by your name be preoccupied with the face of Christ. How overwhelming that is, my King. Help us. Help us to have eyes to see. Help us have hearts that long. Father, help us to see your glory in every experience that we have in this life. Help us be overwhelmed by you. Help us to walk in a manner worthy. In Christ's name, amen.